Let's open in prayer. Our gracious God, you are good and kind to be with us this morning to allow us to look into your word and to dialogue and discuss your grace. We ask that you would bless our time, help us to grow in you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, real quick, I am not Josh Bernson, for those of you who are wondering. Uh, he was going to finish up his series on Ruth this morning and um, bring some concluding reflections on the book of Ruth, and then he got sick, without permission, I might add. Uh, right? I know, so so rude. Um, but he is uh, not, <laughs> yeah, he is not feeling well. Um, so I'm going to have a discussion today real quick, though, just kind of how we're moving forward. Um, next week, be here. Uh, Pastor Nathaniel Thompson is coming down. He's going to be teaching Sunday school and, and leading worship. He was supposed to be here the weekend of Snowmageddon, uh, and then he didn't come. Uh, he is a wonderful uh, man. Uh, he is a minister in the PCA, and he uh, is part of Reformed University Fellowship. And so it's a campus ministry of the PCA, and he works up at Western University in uh, Bellingham, has a heart for uh, students, heart for the Lord, and he's going to come share with us uh, during Sunday school just what Reformed University Fellowship is, how we can be praying for them, and what they're doing, and then he'll be uh, bringing God's word to us during the service. So I'm really uh, glad he's coming. And then after that, um, Tim Draper and Dave Stodema are going to be leading us for five weeks on, in a series called uh, Being in the Word, Walking in the Spirit, Walking with Jesus, uh, something along those lines? Running with Tim. Running with Tim. <laughs> or, or is it just called Stop It? I don't know. Something along those lines. Uh, but they'll be leading us, and that will bring us um, through the second Sunday in June, which will be our last Sunday school for the summer. And then, uh, so that's going to be where we're headed from there. But Thinking about what to talk about this morning, uh, Brian and I were sitting there a little too late on Thursday night in the hotel uh, talking, and uh, Brian had just had his committee uh, exams for ordination, uh, and uh, he in the next morning was going to be his floor exams, which is before the whole presbytery. And just for those who are wondering, this isn't fun. <laughs> uh, very few people, uh, this is kind of... This is the end process of everything. It's kind of like defending your, your master's thesis or your doctoral dissertation or whatever. It's, it's kind of the accumulation of years of study and preparation, and uh, it's hard. And uh, we had a conversation that I've had with many of you, uh, and I thought it would be fun just to kind of talk through some of these things because these are things we all need to hear and hear often when times are hard, uh, when we're discouraged, when we're frustrated and feeling low. Um, but I thought it would be fun to do it this morning, to not feel rushed and to just talk through this together. It might be uh, a rehearsing ground we've covered before, but uh, no doubt I trust that it will be encouraging. And it's about Jacob and Esau. So real quick, who are Jacob and Esau? So, <sighs> somebody needs to go back to their exams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> grandsons of Abraham, children of Isaac. Good, good. Okay, what else can you tell me about them? Twins, Twins. good, good. They wrestled in the room. Yeah. Jacob always seemed to be wrestling, didn't he? Yeah, they, they wrestled in the room, right? Um, good. Okay, yeah, represent two nations. 
good. Israel and Edom. Uh-huh. Um, what are they typically known for? Uh, yeah, wrestling, sibling rivalry, yeah. God's selection prior to birth. Uh, where do we? Where is that famously uh, brought out for us? Romans nine, right? Yeah, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Uh, that's how Romans deals with it. Today we want to look at how Hebrews deals with Jacob and Esau. We've been we, we we're often familiar with Romans, but I love the way the book of Hebrews uh, deals with Jacob and Esau. And the question we want to ask. Okay, is this. Romans tells us, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. The question we want to ask is, how do we know God loved Jacob and not Esau? That's the question we want to ask and answer today. And here's my, my bold and daring answer to that question. It's this, and, mo- and many of you know this, but we're going we're to go over it again today. We know that God loved Jacob because he walked with a limp. We know that God loved Jacob because he walked with a limp. And, and hopefully by the end of this morning, that'll actually make sense uh, because I'm sure it doesn't uh, to many right now. So turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verses 12 through 17 uh, and just look at this passage and a few others related to it today. And we're going to start with chapter 12 of Hebrews. Hebrews is in the New Testament. Getting towards the end, it's, it's after the letters to Paul, uh, before Peter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, right before James. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing... He was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Okay. This is Hebrews chapter 12. Um, For those of you who don't know, Hebrews chapter 12 comes right after Hebrews chapter 11. Um, It's unique to the book of Hebrews, but this is how it works there. Uh, What's Hebrews chapter 11 about? Faith. Good. Huh? Huh? The Faith Hall of Fame, that's right. And it starts, and, and uh, some of us, it's been a while since we've dealt with this, but the, the, the beginning words of, of Hebrews 11 are actually quite, uh, they're not hard to translate. They're hard to make sense out of, and so translators try to smooth them out. Um, it, we often have, have it read in our modern translations, face of the assurance of things not seen, the hope of things, or, you know that. And really, it, it actually says faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for. And and if you look at some of the older translations, like the King James, you'll see that, and everybody wonders, what does that mean? Well, what it means is this, that it, it's not a definition of faith, it's a characterization. Faith takes hold of the substance of things you can't see. 
and it, and, it, and it bears evidence to you of what you hope for. Wow, that's kind of... And then, and then the writer of Hebrews says that uh, the saints of old, uh, by faith through, through types and shadows and things like this, took hold of the reality of what they hoped for, namely Jesus Christ. And so then it goes through and gives all these examples. And, and who does it start with? Nope, not Abraham. It starts, what? Abel, that's right. It starts with Abel and it goes on to, to Enoch and Noah and all these, these right? And what's really interesting, if you really look at the structure, it's, it's really fascinating. At the center of all these uh, witnesses and examples of faith who, who took hold of Jesus uh, long before he ever came into this world uh, in the incarnation, at the very center of that is Jacob. And I don't think that's an accident. Because Hebrews is going to use Jacob as a model for us of what faith in this life and in this world looks like. And, and, it, and it all comes down uh, to uh, verse 21, Hebrews chapter 11, 21. If you're in chapter 12, you just, you just slide back a page and look at this great, amazing example at the center of this whole list of all these great examples of faith. Look at what Jacob did. It's just amazing. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Isn't that amazing? He blessed his sons and leaned on his staff. And you think, that's like the center, the ultimate. This is, this is what it all comes down to. Can you, like Jacob, lean on a staff when you're dying? Because if you can... That's a model of faith, right? So what's going on here? What's going on? Why is this strange? It gets even stranger if you go to Genesis, keep your finger in Hebrews, but go to Genesis 47, 31. Let's go back and read this verse that the writer of Hebrews is selected out of the whole life of Jacob to call to memory. Genesis forty seven thirty one. And he said, Swear to me, and he swore to him, and then Israel, that is Jacob, bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Wait. What did Hebrews say? He ba- what? Staff. Staff. And what does Genesis say? Bed. What's going on here? So, so not only does the writer of Hebrews pick a really strange verse to quote, but he misquotes it, maybe, sort of. What's really interesting What's the Old Testament written in? Hebrew. But there's another version of the Old Testament that's often quoted in the New. What is it? The Septuagint. Good. And Gary, what's the Septuagint? It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Okay. And it was well regarded, quoted by the apostles often. And guess what it says in the, in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament? Jacob leaned upon the head of his staff. So the writer of Hebrews quotes the Septuagint 
and picks this one verse that, is it head, is it staff, is it bed? I, you know, what's going on here, right? Why, out of all the things that Hebrew could have pointed out in the life of Jacob, does it choose something that's a bit dicey? What's so important about the staff? Help Jacob, Jacob walk. After he, after he got his hip or? <laughs> after he got his hip destroyed, right. Yeah. Uh, what's unique about, uh, what else do we know about Jacob? What's, what's unique about him? Uh-huh. He wrestled with God. He wrestled with God. Right. This is when he gets renamed Israel. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, um, we're, we're going to go there in just a minute. That's in chapter 32 of Genesis. You remember when Jacob wrestles with the angel, the angel of the Lord, who is the pre-incarnate Christ. Remember, it's the angel of the Lord who meets with Moses in Exodus 3 and says, I am that I am. Right? Uh, it's the angel of the Lord uh, who, who uh, appears to Moses at the, at, the, at the cleft of the rock, right? And lets his glory pass by. Uh, the angel of the Lord is, is, is God before the incarnation showing up at periods in the Old Testament uh, who speaks in the first person as God. I am I that I am. Now, uh, that, that whole wrestling episode with Jacob takes place in Genesis 32 and... Uh, but let's read a little bit before that. Let's go to Genesis 32, verse 10, and, and, and read um, Jacob earlier that day. Genesis 32, uh, starting in verse 10, uh, Jacob says this, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of your steadfast love and the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant for with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Okay. What's, to whom is Jacob speaking? Uh, I, I think so. And, but what's he, and, and what does he say at this point, right? When did he cross this river with just his staff? He hasn't struggled with the Lord yet. When did he have just a staff to his name? When he left home, what was it, 20 years earlier, right? This is before he goes and he labors seven years for thinking Rachel, ends up with Leah, right? Then gets, then he works for like seven more years. It's been about 21 years. But he, and why did he flee? Why did he run from home? Because <laughs> yeah, he tricked Esau out of his birthright for a bowl of stew, right? And, and upset dad. So he runs for his life and he w- runs to live uh, with his uncle and falls in love with uh, uh, Rachel and ends up with both sisters as wives, right? We know this. And, and, and what does he... So, and, and during that 20 years, that 21 years, he becomes quite wealthy. He's now uh, uh, two wives, children, and two concubines, right? Um, and... Uh, and flocks and herds, he's become quite wealthy, right? And what is he? What is he saying when he mentions his staff in that verse in Genesis thirty-two, verse ten? 
That's all I had. Is he saying, look how wealthy I was when I left? Huh? Not. Not. He's saying, look how poor I was. This was my sole possession. So what does the staff become in that, in that sentence, in that statement? Okay, well, okay, it was all he had, right? Uh, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, the shirt on my back. Yes. And then the word only. Right. Yeah, it's, it's this, it, it's, not, it's not an emblem of his wealth. He says, this is how poor I was. It's kind of like the dad, he says, when I went off to college, I had a 30-year-old you know, Ford Pinto, right? He's not bragging, right? He's, he's not, he's, he might be bragging where he's come since then, but he's saying that's how poor I was, right? I, this was a jalopy. This, was, this, was a, this is how poor I am. So the staff has become the emblem, the symbol of, of his poverty when he left. This was the shirt on my back. This is all I left with. That's how poor I was. This, this stick was my greatest possession. How sad is that, right? Okay. And now what is he? Very wealthy, successful, right? Do you remember why Laban uh, didn't want him to leave? He was, he was making him a lot of money. He was so successful. Everything he touched turned to gold, essentially, right? And, and, and he's become so successful. Now he's rich. And so he's got this, he's, like, he's still got this, this, this shirt that he wore on his back when he left, right? The staff, this emblem, like, this is how far I've come. This is how poor I was. It's a, it's a reminder of humbler days. But what happened that night? Let's go down to verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford at Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Every, all of his family, his possessions are all gone. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. By the way, what does Jacob mean? Cheat, right? Huh? Usurper, cheat, right? Good. And then he said to him, verse 28, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life was preserved. And the sun rose up upon him, sorry, rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew on his thigh. Okay, this is what took place. But what happened? What happened that night for Jacob? 
And don't please just repeat to me the details of the event. Yes. Uh-huh. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's your name? I'm the yeah, okay. Good. What what why is that important? Why does Jacob need to be re- reminded of his deception? What's going on this night in Jacob's life and heart? He's wrestling with truth. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yo. Yeah. He knows it's God, and he he confesses that I've wrestled. I'm going to call this place Peniel, right? Because I, which means uh, before the face of God, right? Uh, because I've seen the face of God, and my life has been spared. He knows it shouldn't be spared, right? He knows that man should not see God and live, right? What else is taking place? He's fearing the meeting with his brother, right? Because what what what's he essentially afraid of with with Esau? Yeah, my brother. Let's face it. I was always the mama's boy. He was always the hunter. This might not go well for me, right? Good. He doesn't feel like he can do this on his own. Where does the chapter begin? Is he humble or proud? Look, the two camps I've become. Look at my thousands of herds and flocks. When I left, all I had was the staff. Look at what I've done. Is he... (laughs) Yeah, I'm a self-made man. Look what I've done. Right? It starts with a lot of boasting and pride. This night, he's learning that though he's rich, he's needy. The man he's wrestling with, the angel, the Lord, says, let go of me. Could just end, let's just, it's called a night. And go our separate ways. And what by that point does Jacob realize? Charlie? This person that I'm wrestling with is worth clinging to if it costs me everything. I'll let go of everything else, but I'm not going to let go of you because you are my only hope of what does he say? I will not let go of you unless you bless me. My only hope of blessing that matters, my only hope of any comfort is 
is the one before me, and I'll let go of everything else, but I'm not letting go of you unless you send me with your blessing, with your peace. Whoa. The man who was bragging a few minutes ago that all I had when I left here as a staff, I'm a self-made man, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, says, I'll give it all up to hold on to you and your blessing. I think too it's a reminder of the vow that he made to the Lord at that bell. Mm. And later on, this angel of the Lord says, I am the God of that bell. Yes. Bethel's where he, he goes to sleep, has that dream. Remember, he's on the rock. I don't know why he's that as a pillow. But he sees heavens open and the angels uh, ascending and descending on a ladder, which Jesus in John 1 says he is. I love that. Good. Uh, right. But this, but this night, it all seems to click in a profound way where he says, I will let go of everything but God because that is the only true blessing. Riches don't matter. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and let lose, yet lose his soul? I will not let go. Do what you will. Give me your best shot, whatever it takes, but I'm not letting go of you. I'm going to cling to you. I am going to hold on. He learns what true faith is. It's clinging to Jesus despite everything that gets thrown at you. And what does he end up? I know that's a weird sentence. He gets a new name. And a limp. <laughs> he ends up crippled. But he was also humbled. Even after all that, when he sent the, the families together, and when he finally got to Esau's falling down, yes. not humiliated, but humbled. Not humiliated, but humbled. With the best possible reality, right? Like a thorn, yes, yeah, yeah, PJ. Do you think that uh, God wanted him to have a reminder that that limp would remind him of what's important and that he needs to look to him? Oh, yeah, absolutely, isn't it? it because we are people of short memories, aren't we? But that limp stays with you. That limp stays with you. Why are you limping? Let me tell you about this one night, <laughs> right? It was a bad night. It was a bad night, but it was... The best night. Yeah. This was the hardest night of my life. And it changed my life for the better. And to be really honest, if somebody offered to take away my limp, I don't think I want them to. Because it, because it reminds me about the most important night of my life. Right? Yeah. 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 It, right? It. It's, it's, like, it's like the person who doesn't want to give the t- up the T-shirt that they were wearing on a really special day, right? Because it just it brings it all back. Or, and, and, and for him, it's like, don't take away my limp. That's my, that's, that's my souvenir. That's my memento. Yeah. The next morning, Esau comes. And do you remember what happens? Chapter 33? Yeah, what happens? Who doesn't die? He doesn't die. Who doesn't? A horrible death. Jacob doesn't die. Okay, Jacob doesn't die a horrible death. The next, he sees his brother Esau, right? This, yeah, chapter 20, 32 ends, not that these are original numberings, but right. And the very next thing, as, as, as Jacob and the Lord go their separate ways, the next thing is Jacob and Esau meet that, that morning. Remember Dawn's coming? Okay, good. Well, he sends the gifts. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and what does Esau do? Esau well, for what does Jacob do? Yeah, Esau embraces him, right? Fell on his neck and kissed him. And they both, okay, they weep. And what happens, with, what does Jacob do? Okay. No, it's, it's, fine. it's fine. Jacob offers Esau all these gifts. He says, take all my flocks, take, take all this and all this. You know, he's, he's trying to, to make amends, or he's trying to, you know, save his life, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. And what does Esau say? But but he says Jacob Esau says I've already got more than I can handle, keep it. No no take it keep it right. There's this whole sense where 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 Esau is even more successful, right than Jacob, who's incredibly successful. And Esau says I don't need it. I too am a self-made man. I'm in no need of your gifts and your favor. Right since you left, I have become incredibly wealthy. And so Esau has pride, no sense of need, right? He has earthly riches, right? So why does Hebrews 11 mention the staff? Why? Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say? Yeah. Good. This is what we're here. Where we're here. These are, this should be devotional. This is this is the this is the bomb of the soul right here. So go for it. Good, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Charlie? Yeah, yeah, it's like PJ said, right? That limp becomes precious to him. Jacob never takes a step again after that night without that staff. He is wholly dependent upon him it now for every step he will take because he's crippled. He walks with a limp from here on out. That staff now isn't just a trinket of earlier days. It is a necessary aid for every step he will take the rest of his life. He's crippled, he's lame, his hip has been put out of joint, and that staff would always remind him of the night when the Lord loved him enough to come and wrestle with him and cripple him so that he would be humbled and understand that all the riches in the world are worth nothing if he does not have Jesus. 
Yeah. It's that, it's that always present reminder of the Lord's presence and love in his life, isn't it? Think about how in, in, in just a few hours, the, the imagery and the symbolism and the meaning of that staff have radically changed in Jacob's life. As, as a constant reminder of all these things, his need, God's love, and the life that is found in clinging to Jesus. So let's return to our, our main passage, Hebrews 12. Okay? This is what I opened with reading. Look at verses 12 and 13. <laughs> Does that suddenly have some sort of ring to it? Oh, yes, yes, Mr. McDonald, please tell me. Listen to Hebrews 12. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Who does that sound like? What is lame may not be put out of joint. Who does, any echoes anywhere? Anyone? Not a rhetorical question. Please help me. Tell me you're hearing it. Jacob, Captain Jake, Obvious. Jake, Jacob, right? But the writer of Hebrews is connecting you to that imagery from Jacob. As you walk through this life, strengthen those weary hands, those drooping knees, those lame joints. Make make your paths straight. Follow the Lord in the midst of your weakness. You know what it was like for Jacob, crippled, lame, put out of joint, but he followed the Lord and you need to do the same thing. It's going to be hard. It's going to be exhausting. You're going to limp. <laughs> but put your feet one in front of the other following the Lord, right? It's applied to you. The image is there. We are all weak, struggling, limping along, and we need to persevere, not give up, cling to Jesus even if everything else disappears, right? It's spiritual imagery using the physical imagery from Jacob's limp. But before we move on, here's my question. Do you ever feel like that? Weak? Tired? Like you're limping through life, struggling just to get from one day to the next? Every day. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, be- because that is our weakness, right? That is our need. Uh, our need isn't physical, it's spiritual. We are, we are, we are spiritually well, <laughs> limping at best, right? Um, uh, we, could, we can come back uh, uh, if, if Pastor Thompson doesn't show up next week. Maybe we'll talk about Lazarus because that would be another wonderful image uh, for ourselves right here. But here's the, here's the question. When you're feeling weak, crippled, spiritually lame, right? Are you ever tempted at those times to question God's love for you? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So let's look at verses 15 and 17. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 and 17. 
see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, and that no one is sexually immoral and unholy like Esau. Now we're, we're spiritually lame, out of joint. We're like Jacob. Don't be like his brother Esau. Now listen to this who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So the writer of Hebrews brings up Esau. But here's the thing. One of the words in verse 17 is poorly translated. No, repent's a good word. The word translated chance, what does that sound like? Yeah, sounds like an opportunity, right? He, he just wanted to repent, but the Lord wouldn't listen, right? The Lord says, all, who, all who, who will may come. I will not always cast them out. Everybody has a chance to repent. Everybody has an opportunity. While it's still called today, you can repent. That's not what the word is in the Greek. The reason it's translated that way is because the word is strange in the Greek. The word is, what, what is a topographical map? Huh? A topographical map shows the, the, the layout of the land. It's, yeah, right? Topography is, is about uh, the land, right? Uh, the word here in Greek is topos. It means he had no place to repent, which is weird, right? What does it mean he had no place to repent? So English translators are like, well, must have had no opportunity, so we'll just translate it chance. That's not what it is. The word means place, he had no place to repent. Any thoughts on what that means? Jacob had Peniel. Yeah. What is the place of Jacob's repentance? the place where God showed up and cared enough to cripple him. Where in Esau's life does he have a place where God shows up, cares enough to cripple him and bring him to the end of his pride? He has no place like that, does he? He has no place where the Lord was willing to wrestle and cripple him and bring him to the end of his pride. Absolutely. But, but the writer of Hebrews is bringing out something differently than the writer of, of, of um, Romans does. Romans is saying, this, this is the, the statement, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. The writer of Hebrews is proving it. How do we know? Because God showed up and crippled Jacob and he never did that with Esau. Because Jacob had Peniel and Esau didn't. This is how we know that Romans is true. This is what proves it. Jacob walked with a limp. Sure. Yeah, and... and And you're absolutely right. And and that undergirds everything here. 
But there is something, there is something sweetly devotional about this that, that just transcends and goes beyond our, our rich systematic theological categories because there's something here that is so human and applicable and devotional, right? How does this help you when you feel like God is making your life harder than those around you who don't seem to care at all about God? How does this passage help you when you're thinking, my life is harder because I love Jesus? When you, uh-huh. Yeah. When you feel like you're limping through life because God is making your life harder rather than easier, when you feel like you can barely hold on, when you feel like all you can do is cling to Jesus, you need to remember what Jacob's staff teaches you and why on his, on his dying day he would say, let me just lean over this emblem of my poverty and worship my God. Because this, this symbolizes everything that I want to remember and I want you to remember that when God loves us, he cares enough to show up and break our hips. He cares enough to let us limp. And when we're sitting there, we're struggling and we're frustrated and we're thinking, I can't do it anymore. God says, I loved you enough to teach you that. Yeah, Charlie. Poverty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The power, the, the emblem of affliction, right? Fantastic. It, uh, yeah, Butchie. By rod and by staff, they could. Oh, so true. Isn't that image powerful then? And so if you think about the book of Hebrews and how it's really what about, what does it mean to cling to Jesus in the midst of, of a hard life and world? And if he's going to use Jacob as the image of that, what better image could he choose when he comes to the center of his hall of faith, comes to Jacob himself, and out of all the things in his life, what would be a better image than to say, how does he die? Leaning on the emblem of his poverty, the reminder of his crippling, and God's love for him. So yeah. Brian's limping through ordination exams. We as a congregation are are limping through all sorts of trials. We feel like no matter how hard we try, we're, we're, all we can do is hold on. And, and, and we think, where is God in all of this? And he says, I'm right there, making you lean on your poverty so that you would understand that all your riches in this world benefit you nothing if you have no place to cry out for mercy. How do you know God loved Jacob? He walked with a limp. When you question God's love, ask yourself whether you're limping, whether you're struggling, whether you feel like you can't do it on your own. Who cared enough to reveal that to you? The God of Jacob. Any final thoughts?
questions or thoughts before we close in prayer? Charlie. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I don't know that the writer of Hebrews shares, it could just be 32, right? That they, they, they weep with each other, right? And yet, and yet what he ends up with is, is the restoration of an earthly relationship, not a heavenly one, right? So something along those lines. But I, I'm going to be a little bit tentative in answering that. Jeff, you had one final? Mm-hmm. It's incredible. We all know the big verse that it kind of ends the bitter part by saying, Remember my affliction and my wandering and wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and will bow down. <laughs> this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Those loving kindness, kindness says, indeed, never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Almost sounds. Almost sounds like a commentary on, on Genesis 32, doesn't it? It kind of does, yeah. That's because the Lord's word is so wonderfully consistent. It just reveals to us a God of love. We just need to learn sometimes how to see that love. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you that you have loved us and cared for us, that you supply our needs. Father, we ask that you would bless us this morning as we uh, move into worship, that you would speak to us from your word, that you would draw us ever closer to Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.